You're listening to the Dental Giants Podcast, a podcast that inspires young dental students and professionals to strive for success in their field. My name is Pedro Mashaw, and I'm a current dental student seeking to learn the ins and outs of our profession. You don't have to reinvent the wheel to be successful. So I'm sitting down with dental professionals, or as I like to say, dental giants, who have shown excellence, passion, and success in their field. We're going to be talking about their journey, the lessons they've learned, and how to make an impact. Subscribe now so you won't miss new episodes, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dental Giants. I am honored and privileged to be speaking to a legend today. I have Dr. Jack Dillenberg here on the Dental Giants podcast, and I'm so excited to hear some of his incredible stories. Dr. Dillenberg is Dean Emeritus at A.T. Still University's Arizona School of Dentistry and Oral Health, or ASDO, after serving 15 years as the inaugural dean. After dental school, he served as a dentist in the U.S. Navy, then practiced at a residential facility for people with severe disabilities before moving to Jamaica to work in a very rural clinic for their Ministry of Health. Prior to joining ASDO, Dr. Dillenberg was Associate Director for Public Health Programs in the California Department of Health Services and served as an Area Health Officer for Los Angeles County. During most of the 1990s, Dr. Dillenberg served in several capacities in the Arizona Department of Health Services, including four years as its director. Dr. Dillenberg is the recipient of a great number of honors and awards, including the Arizona Medical Association Humanitarian of the Year, the Fresh Start Foundation Man of the Year, the Harvard School of Public Health Alumni Award of Merit, and the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry. Most recently, the American Association of Public Health Dentistry 2019 Distinguished Service Award. He currently serves as the Global Ambassador for the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry. He was recently elected Mayor of Jerome, Arizona, and selected as a public member of the Arizona State Supreme Court Attorney Discipline Probable Cause Committee. There is no doubt that he is a dental giant, and I hope you enjoy. Dr. Dillenberg, can I take a step back and just yes, kind of ask you? Take a couple um, of steps. <laughs> I'm old. I'm old. I'm so curious to learn more about yeah. how you started up the dental school. But before that, how did you grow up as a kid? Did you, you know, oh, did you yeah. ace all of your classes? Oh, yeah. Did you? Yeah, no, how did no, you? No. How did you even get into dentistry? In school. My mother. I used to get ends for needs improvement. <laughs> You know, my mother would say, what's this? I said, it's an end. What's an end? Well, I need improve. You know, I grew up in, in Forest Hills, Queens, New York, and a little middle-class area. My father, not a wealth at all. We had a little house. It was very nice. My father worked. My, my father never went to college. My mother never went to high school. I mean, it was, mm. you know, they were immigrants from Germany in the, in the day, you know, and um so I went to public high school. The good news is Forest Hills High School is one of the eight best public high schools in the United States. A lot of famous people. What's his name? Uh, uh, oh, Simon. Paul Simon was there. So Paul and Artie Garfunkel. Paul was two years ahead of me. We had a lot of famous, famous people. If you Google Forest Hills High School, you will see it'll blow your socks off. The, the, this, and all my college courses, would be college courses, were taught by PhDs. And that was in a public high school. 
So I wow. and it was close enough. I could I could take a, a bus there, walk there. So I grew up in Forest Hills, middle class community. One of my oldest friends, Howard Marks, became a famous guy. He was in the Boy Scouts. The Jackie got to join the Boy Scouts. I want you in my troop. There were two troops. I'm a half breed Jewish kid, and there was a a, a, a a troop in the synagogue, and there was a troop in the Catholic Church. He was in the Catholic Church. So I went to that one. I was the only Jewish kid in there, the only non-Catholic kid. And it was just so funny that they wound up uh, making me the, the senior patrol leader. <laughs> so I knew I had some leadership skills, I guess, early on. And I, you know, it was pretty funny. And I went to the Jamboree when Eisenhower was there. It was pretty cool. And Howard Marks, the kid, uh, was still buddy, good buddies. He's one of the richest men in America. He was in the Fortune Top 300. Howard Marks, he founded one of the most famous um, uh, investment companies in New York. But anyway, uh, so I grew up in Forest Hills, middle-class kid, um, went to Forest Hills High School. Then I, I went to American University in my freshman year. I wanted to be the U.S. Senator from New York because I was inspired by John F. Kennedy, who was our president. Mm. So my freshman year, I mean, and the tra there was a tragic year for me. My, mm. my first year of college, on my 18th birthday, first year, JFK was assassinated, mm. changed my life. I, and I was so pissed. I met his brother. He was an idiot at that, you know, Ted. And I just didn't, I was so disillusioned. I said, let me do something else. So I thought I'd go into healthcare. One of my neighbors was a Tulane in New Orleans. So I transferred to Tulane in New Orleans. And uh, that's where I went to college. And it was good. I wound up being student president there, which was pretty wild my senior year. And it was I was in a fraternity that had a lot of famous uh, people. And I didn't realize Tulane was known for theater. Uh, people going to want to get into theater or TV and those want to get into healthcare. those two areas. Hmm. And all my fraternity brothers were TV guys. They started St. Elsewhere. The famous hospital show was uh, Bruce Paltrow, um, the president of my fraternity. His daughter's Gwyneth Paltrow. You know what I mean? We had, had so many different uh, Starsky and Hutch. On TV, yeah. they were both fraternity brothers. I mean, all, I was the only guy that wasn't on TV because I had a face for radio, you know. But it was <laughs> just amazing. And so I went to Tulane, and I realized I wanted to do healthcare, but I didn't. I wasn't interested in medicine. I was always afraid I'd screw up and kill somebody. I figured if I went into dentistry, the worst I'd do is kill a tooth, you know. <laughs> so I decided to go to dental school, and uh, uh, that was it, you know. And came back, went to NYU. And that was a great experience. I was class president there for four years. And then uh -huh. wound up being student president of NYU, uh, which was a very big deal. For, I was the first student president of the whole university. Wow. And uh, Now, did was, you have a mentor growing up to, you know, kind of help you guide yeah. you through? Well, JFK school? was someone I, I liked his family. His, his brother-in-law was Sergeant Shriver. He was mm -hmm. the one who started the Peace Corps. He inspired me with an ad he had in the New York Times. That was a full uh, a glass of water, half filled. And it said over, if you think this glass is half filled, not half empty, you should consider the Peace Corps. Mm. His wife was Eunice Schreiber, who is uh, AFK's kid's sister. And Eunice started the special swimming pool in the backyard and outside of Boston. So, and that's got me going uh, you know, in Special Olympics and Special Needs, which is a passion mm. for me. And uh, with Steve Perlman, who's a famous guy, and Perlman and I have been friends since dental school, 50 mm. years. So um, 
No, he uh, JFK was good, good inspire. Swami Sachidananda, hmm. a yogi who wrote the book uh, Hatha Yoga. I was his dentist for a little while in Northern California when I was a Navy dentist. I used to go up to Yogaville West and hang out. Uh, he inspired me. Um, I learned that community service was real important. There were a couple of people there. I forget his name. One of my instructors at NYU dealt with the elderly and seniors. So I learned that um, oral health is critically important. It's essential. It's safe. And it's something that we need to provide to a lot of people who don't have access. Don't forget, only 40% of the people that can go to a dentist go to a dentist. So I'm working on some things now to change that by raising uh, dental IQ of the public. Mm. A not-for-profit I started called Dr. Healthy Mouth. And mm. if you see me on LinkedIn, you'll see a little video about it. Dr. Healthy Mouth. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, so anyway, you know, there were people that inspired me. What's his name? Uh, okay. uh, you know, I was going to say Mark Doherty used to be with mm. DentaQuest. I knew him when he was, he's a great, great guy. Uh, I knew him when he was a graduate student, I, when I was teaching at Harvard, he was uh -huh. one of my people I mentored. He was, he was the uh, national arm wrestling champion in the United States. He wrote a book about it. And I used to joke, I used to do chins off his arms in the dental clinic. You know, he was so freaking strong, you know? And, uh, yeah. So, you know, it was, it's been an interesting light. You know, I did my Navy thing right after dental school yeah. and that was pretty cool. So once you did the Navy, then you decided yeah. to do almost completely public health. And yeah, exactly. I, I understand you went to Jamaica, you, um, and First what I was with special needs. First I went with special needs in mm, Connecticut, okay. Southway training school. I was the only dentist for, with, uh, with uh, the dental director, me and an intern for mm. a thousand. I mean, these are residential kids, down syndrome, uh, autism, everything. Yeah, and some amazing stories there that changed my life also in a positive yeah. way. I got a little burned out after two and a half years. And so I moved down to, to I had a little tragedy. Girlfriend died in the car crash and oh. I wanted to get away. Someone said, go to Jamaica. It's really nice. You'll relax. Together. So I went down there. I met an American dentist who owned a place. And I was staying in the Grill Beach out on the west end of Jamaica, six miles. And uh, I wound up taking a job with the Jamaican Ministry of Health, running a dental clinic in a fishing village out there, there where I was the only dentist for over 100,000 people. Wow. I was the only healthcare provider once a month. I used to joke and say I took care of gonorrhea, diarrhea, and pyrrhea. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> there was nobody else there except the, you know, my dental assistants and nurse or two. And it was pretty prim. The dental operatory I had, I had a chair, I had a pump up. I had a surgical light overhead, like an OR light that I could do chins on. It was so crazy <laughs> and big. And then uh, my suction was a uh, uh, high-speed suction with a white pail <laughs> that they spit into. And I had um, 15 syringes, needles with syringes that I had to sharpen on a stone and boil to use. So I can only inject 15 people at a time. I used to have 40 to 80 people waiting outside my door every day to come in. It was free. The money never changed hands. The government paid me about 13, 14 grand a year, which was good. This was back in 1975. I was 30 years old. It was good. I loved it. I mean, I was the only white guy with all, it was really a love fest. It was really fun. I mean, the, <laughs> and the biggest thrill was uh, uh, for me, uh, I got to share a bong with Bob Marley. That was, <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Because marijuana was legal there you know you i i could buy pot for eight dollars a pound i mean it was amazing and, uh, 
you know, it was legal. You're to have kidding it. me. No, no, no. It was legal to have it and smoke it, but illegal to grow it and sell it. It was crazy. But I would get it and uh, it was method, you know, and uh, I, I hung out with a lot of Rastas and I got to meet Marley. It was amazing. <laughs> I had a backstage pass for the Cara Festa Festival in 1976 in Kingston. It was Bob Marley and Stevie Wonder. Wow. And, uh, a couple of my smuggling buddies got me this from High Times Magazine. You know, <laughs> in those days, they put pot on a, on a little sailboat, take it to Florida. Nobody ever cared. It was before the cocaine stuff. Nobody gave it. Nobody would care about pot. Once cocaine started, the drug, then it changed everything. But nonetheless, I'm there in Kingston. I went to the festival. I got, the, the backstage was the, the green room, if you will, was a school bus. So I was back. So I walked back there with my little beds. And I was a get, you know, and I, the security guards over said, oh, you're cool, man. You can go in. The door opens up to the school bus. I step up the stairs. The smoke is coming out. <laughs> it's, it's hysterical. Sitting in the driver's seat of the bus was Bob Marley smoking a bomb. And he says, who are you, man? I said, I'm Dr. Jack. I'm the dentist in the grill. He says, cool. Have some of this. And he hands me the bomb. So I'm standing there with talking to Marley, smoking a bong. Next to him was Bunny Whaler and Toots and the Maytals. Unfriggin' believable. Oh, my God. So I'm hanging out on the bus with them a little bit. And uh, it was really great. I invited him to come out to the grill and visit, which he never did. But clearly one of the nicest guys. Tragic loss. You know, another funny bit of that story is I went back into the hotel that night to spend the night, you know, and the next, uh -huh. next day. I'm in the elevator in the morning and in the elevator with me is Stevie Wonder and his kid brother, Alex, I think I forget his name, but he's always with him because Stevie can't see. So his kid brother takes him around. This was back in, again, 1975. So the three of us are in the elevator. So I turn to Stevie, I say, when you get back to LA, say hello to Dick and Minnie for me. And he turns his head to me, looking up at that, he can't see crap. And he said, and he says to me, you know Dick and Minnie? I said, yeah, I know Dick and Minnie. He says, yeah, why don't you join us? So I joined them by the swimming pool. So I'm sitting by the pool having coffee and, and, and sitting with Stevie Wonder and his kid brother. And he says, how do you know Dick and Minnie? Well, Dick Rudolph was another one of my fraternity brothers, Tulane. And he's married to Minnie Ripperton, who was the world famous singer in those days. They did this song called Loving You is All I Really mm. Want to Do. Became, you know, big. And we were dear friends and they were dear friends. And so I went to visit them. The funny story, I'm in uh, uh, camp in Florida, uh, or the big town with the colleges. I can't hear My memory goes a little crazy on names. But anyway, I'm staying mm. with Dick and Minnie. You know, Minnie was great. She died tragically of breast cancer a few years after this. But they had a baby. And I'm putting the baby, rocking the baby. And the, it's uh, Maya Rudolph. That's, this is Dick and Minnie's daughter is Maya from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So I was, uh, Maya, so I'm, I'm, with, I'm babysitting Maya with Dick and Minnie <laughs> for a couple of days. It was pretty funny. She was a little bit, she, I, she may, I doubt she'll remember it. But anyway, so, and I'm there with Stevie Wonder, and it was an incredible trip. I've been right. so blessed. That's one of the things, man. I've been, I've learned in my life, for whatever reason, the folks upstairs, mm. you know, whatever faith you believe in, you know, they sort of look out for me a little bit. And put me in opportunities where I get to meet good people and have the opportunity to do good things. Mm. And I want to tell your colleagues, you know, around the country, dental students, 
take advantage of the opportunity to do good things, whether you work with Special Olympics, whether you work with this elderly, the seniors, rural people, uh, people that don't have access. You're gonna be very successful, dental students and dentists. You will do fine. Have an opportunity to do something now for your own personal, spiritual benefit and to make you feel good and make a positive difference in the world. Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate to meet different people and have the opportunity to interact with students, you know, in, in a variety of ways, dentists in a variety of ways around the world. Mm -hmm. I just, yes, yesterday I got an email from Sharjah University Dental School. They're giving me their may, highest award they give a dentist. And wow. uh, March blew me away. And I had already received the, the highest award they give a dentist in the Emirates in Dubai, because I speak every year at the ADEC meeting and the mm. Sheik and the folks, they decided to honor me with what would be called the person of the year, but the translation from Arabic to English, it became personality of the year. So I've got this award as a Jack Miller personality of the year. <laughs> it's hysterical. And, um, but anyway, it's uh, for whatever reason, I've been given these opportunities and, and don't be afraid. You know what I mean? Mm. I, you know, I tell students, the only silly question is the one that isn't asked. Mm. And don't be afraid uh, to make a difference while mm. maintaining your integrity. The number one asset you have, mm. I don't care how good, a, whether you can do implants, whether you can do whatever you can do, integrity is the most important value you have. You know, I used to, one of my quotes with my students is the most difficult the most difficult uh, to is the one to repair a uh, tool to find it. The one to repair a broken trust. Don't violate the trust that people have in you. Mm. The most difficult glue to find mm. is the one to repair a broken trust. Keep mm. your integrity. Everything will work out. Keep doing good. Make a positive difference in people's lives, will make, which will make a positive difference in yours. Yeah. And I think that's, it, to me, has been an important uh uh, guide for me and my students know every one of my graduates they you know i'm just so impressed with them and and university of pacific i used to come down there with, to art and visit and uh talk to students in the clinic and we'd have a good yeah. laugh and so on and he appreciated me you know for the, the character the guy he is and and like i say nader and uh, one of the other right. fellows who does the fundraising stuff but anyway I'm talking so, to you. Now, after Jamaica, you yeah. came back to uh, California? No, I went to Boston. I was in Jamaica mm. and I realized I'm sitting on the beach smoking a joint. And I say, I decided I want to steer the boat, not row the boat. Mm. Steer the boat, not row the boat. I wanted to deal with developing policy. I said, I've got some insights. I want to help people. I want to be able to guide the mm. policy direction and impact, not just the one-on-one -on -one with my patients. Right. And at that, and it was just so funny that uh, I got, I called the uh, Harvard to ask about it and they decided to give me a scholarship to come to Harvard and get my master's of public health. Wow. So I left Jamaica. Why, what was the decision to reach out to Harvard specifically? Well, I had friends there, you know, oh, and they, okay. they reached out to me, honestly, they, they heard about me. When I mentioned one of my buddies, I was thinking of getting an MPH. They called over there and they, then they called me and said, Jack, we'd like you to come here. We'll give you a scholarship. Oh. So I didn't even, I, I, I may have filled out a form. I don't know. But I wound up going <laughs> to Harvard and, uh, and I met some great people there, obviously, incredible people. I got my MPH after a year 
And Chet Douglas just came, went there that year from North Carolina, a famous public health dentist to restructure their public health department. He offered me a job. He said, Jack, I want you to teach our undergraduate. I'll do the graduate. I said, fine. At the same time, you know, while I was in Jamaica, I met folks in the World Bank that were visiting for one of their urban development projects in Jamaica. And they loved seeing how I was loved. You know, everywhere, oh, do you know Dr. Jack? You know, it was really cute. And so they were having a, they said, if you come to Washington, come visit us. So the APHA, the American Public Health Association was having a meeting in Washington. And so I said, oh, let me go down there. This is one, just when I was finishing my MPH. So I went down there and I called them up, told them I was going to say, come to, the guy said, come to the bank and meet me. I didn't know he set up interviews for me. And with this one guy, Jay Cox is the last name. He was the head of this urban development, like their skunk unit. They did all these interesting projects in big cities around the world, Manila, Calcutta, uh, in Brazil, Europe, all these big, big cities doing different urban things. This was before the World Bank had their own health department with inside of, of health professionals. They brought in consultants. So I went into his office to meet this Mr. Jay Cox, and he says, you're Dr. Jack? I said, yeah. I said, I he says to me, I've been to your house in Jamaica. I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, you were off the island, but Jeremiah, the guy who took care of me, let me come into the, I had an open air kitchen on the sand, you know, it was beautiful. It looked like a, ho it looked like a hotel, but it was funky. But nonetheless, he was there and I said, I can't believe I'm getting to meet you. Are you interested in this gig? We need someone to go to Calcutta for us. He's retiring. I said, sure. I didn't know what a big deal it was. I honestly didn't know how big the World Bank was. So they, so they said, okay, you're it. We're going to hire you. I'll let you know when the team meets, blah, blah, blah. Fill out some paperwork, go back to Harvard. So Chet Douglas offered me a job to teach. I told him I'm the first dentist ever hired by the World Bank to do public health in India. And he said, what, what, what? And I said, yeah, but it may conflict with time. He said, don't worry, whatever you need, you got it. So I wound up doing dental public health there. What I loved um, you know, the graduate students we had in those days were Rick Valakovic, Linda Neeson, and the guy who heads up the American uh, Dental Research. They were our first three students when I was teaching in the graduate. Mm -hmm. And an undergraduate, a ton that have become big leaders. But nonetheless, I went to Calcutta. Uh, I taught at Harvard for six years. So for six years, I go back and forth to Calcutta. I set up a program. I stole the idea from China. In those days, it was okay to take ideas from China. But it was... Uh, um, the barefoot doctor concept. I decided to educate grade school educated people to basic health and hygiene. So they know don't poop upstream in the water, you know, take sanitation, blah, blah, blah. So I set up a program that the bank was willing to fund to train 2000 health workers to serve 2.2 million slum dwellers, no dental. It was all oh. basic health. And uh, it worked out great. It was one of the most successful programs the bank for. They gave me $10 million, not to me, for the project. Uh -huh. And that was a lot of money in those days. So we built up 60 sites. One was even called the Dr. Jack Clinic. It was, they did fun. <laughs> you know, it was just so fun. But nonetheless, um, I did that. That's what I did after Jamaica. I went to Boston, mm. got my MPH, taught at Harvard for six years, did the project, worked for the World Bank in Calcutta. And then mm. while I was, you know, Harvard was only paying me like 20 2,000, 23,000, mm -hmm. nothing. You know what I mean? It was just, right. uh, but one of my buddies who lived in Arizona, classmate of mine had a business out here going into malls with dental clinics back in, the, that was way back in mm -hmm. 84. And uh, he said, Jack, I need your help out there. I said, really? I'm working here. And I said, 
How much are they paying? They said twenty three thousand. Said okay, I'll give you seventy. <laughs> boom, boom, bye, <laughs> Arizona. Here I come. <laughs> no. So I came to Arizona and worked with him, and then it uh, the company uh, did some business with a guy who turned out to be a crook. They lost their business. I had to look for a job. Turned out they were looking for a new state dental director in Arizona. And you didn't mm-hmm. need a dental license, but you didn't need an MPH, which I had. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed. There were a lot of people. That I wound up getting the job. So I became the state dental director for five years. And then the assistant director left. The director made me the assistant director for family health, where I oversaw uh, family and children's health, a WIC program, dental, you know, medical dental together. Then the director left two years after that. And mm-hmm. the governor called, governor's office called me the chief of staff. And, uh, and I'd been there for a while and I've been very successful. I've done some really good work. And uh, he says, Jack, the governor wants to talk to you about maybe being the director. I yeah. said, what are you talking about? I'm a dentist. I don't even know the governor. He's a conservative Republican. I'm a liberal guy. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not a donor. I'm not a Republican. He said, yeah, but he wants to see you come over now, now, now. So it's the building across the street. So I go across the street up to the 10th floor to the governor's office. And I'm sitting there with Governor Symington. Never met the guy. Really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Really nice guy. Harvard grad, as it turned out. And so, and we're talking and he says to me, you know, do you have any skeletons in your closet? The governor says this to me. I'm sitting there with him and the chief of staff. And I'm saying, I'm like, okay, I'm the man of integrity. I got to tell the truth. I say, Governor, I got enough skeletons in my closet I can open up a costume shop for Halloween. He's looking at me, what? And the, the, the chief of staff is putting his like this. What did I do? He says, what do you mean? He said, I want to remind you. I, I lived in Jamaica for t- over two years. Your friend Bill Clinton, who was the president then, and they were buddies at Harvard, said he never inhaled. I worked, lived in Jamaica two and a half years. I never exhaled. And it was, he's laughing, I'm laughing, you know, the chief of staff is going nuts. And he says to me, he says, that's it? I said, that's it. I said, fine. He breaks the story the next day. Governor's appointee is dental, as, as director of the Department of Health Services, Dr. Dillenberg, admits to marijuana use in his youth. One day story goes away. If I would have lied, I would have lied, that would have haunted me for a very long time. And again, really reiterated the importance of integrity, importance of telling the Mm. truth. Take the bite if it's something, but it all works out. People forgive, people understand life. They understand life gets in the way. Mm. So I became the first dentist to ever be, uh, second dentist to ever be the director of a state health department in the United States. Wow, wow. Uh, the first one was in Connecticut, a black gentleman. I forgot his name. Wonderful man. I had met him mm. a few years before. He was a dentist in Connecticut. And then me in Arizona. So I now went. How, did, how me, did that feel? Like, oh, God, it was, it was scary. It was, I, you know, I, I, I took a job that had 2,400 employees and a $600 million budget responsible for the health of the state of Arizona. And my wow. first week is when the hantavirus became an unknown disease, like the pandemic. We had not nearly as diff- serious, but we had four, ch- four children died. No one knew what it was. I could tell you some fun stories about how we figured out what it was, but, and it was amazing. And I, and I wound up becoming elected president of the American Association of uh, State Health Direct- Officials, ASCO. Mm-hmm. So all the state health directors in the United States voted me the president, which was pretty wild. So I've been very fortunate, again, 
I fooled people. It's good. And try to do positive change. I was one of the three spokespeople for health. The Surgeon General, the Health Secretary, and me were the three uh, people in charge of health of the United States. Wow. Pretty crazy. Wow. That is really then, crazy. Uh, yeah. And then I left that uh, to, then I went to California. Well, I was in California. I was in LA. I was a health officer there for West LA, area health officer. Mm. Then came back to Arizona when I started the dental school. Yeah. And then retired from that. And I'm up in Jerome and I got elected mayor. So it's pretty crazy. I'm the mayor so of Jerome. I wanted to ask you a few questions about uh, the dental school and, and how you started it. Yeah. You know, when you were starting it, I'm sure you went into uh, a lot of critics and a lot of rejection yeah, when you're trying to start. Can you, can you ex- explain some of the difficulties that you had to encounter and how you were able to uh, just push through and, and open the first uh, Arizona Dental School? Well, I think, you know, a lot of it was, you know, people say you can't open a school that, you know, with the wanting, allowing someone in with a GPA of 2.6. You can't start a dental school, you know, without tenure for your fact. You can't start a dental school, you know, and, and I was able to find people, every person I hired, every person I hired, I only fired one and everybody else is still stayed. No one quit. Hmm. In all these years, they believed in the model. So you're only as good as the team you select. I used to always say I'm the band leader of a world-class orchestra. And, you know, a conductor can do a hell of a good job if he's got the musicians that can play the music and singers that can sing the songs. Hmm. I was successful because I had people that came and believed in this, that wanted to make a difference. Our relationships with community health centers redefined how dental schools can work with community clinics. And, and so on. And um, uh, yeah, I was sorry that your founding dean, who I loved, uh, passed away. Uh, and, uh, yeah. he, was, he was quite a guy. He was a guy that uh, uh, made me be the dean because I had, when I was uh, putting together the Blue Ribbon Committee to sort of evaluate, you know, I was asked by A.T. Still University, they wanted to start a dental school, what to do. Mm-hmm. They, they called me when I was in uh, California as the health of L.A., they uh-huh. came out and said, what should we do? We want to start a dental school. I said, well, you got to put together a blue ribbon committee of experts and, and stuff to, and do something. And I said, you got to, uh, you know, what's going to be your differentiator? And that's one of the things I think is important to look at too is dental students. And when you graduate, when you get yeah. in, what's your differentiator? What's making you different than other graduates? And we'll talk, we can talk a little bit about that. So mm-hmm. they said, yes, would you be, since you know everybody, would you be willing to head up this little Blue Ribbon Committee for us. I said, sure. So the first guy I called was Art Degoni. And then uh, and I said, oh, would you chair this with me? He said, of course. And then I called Larry Meskin. You know, he's passed on. I, you know, he was uh, the editor of JADA. He was dean in Colorado, brilliant guy. And then I called, what's his name? I'm getting the line. He was the dean at, uh, in Texas at Baylor. And, uh, oh, just an incredible another guy and Linda Neese and a whole bunch of folks. And I, I said, I can't pay you, but I'll cover your expenses. Come to Scottsdale, put you up for the weekend. We'll play some golf and we'll help design a new dental school. They all loved it. Wow. And so they came and we're at the hotel there in Scottsdale, the president of the university, the vice president, Chancellor, blah, blah, blah. And these, this committee we put together, a lot of industry folks and educators, famous uh, people. Wow. Awesome. Nonetheless, um, 
what's your idea? Say, one, I want to have a dental school that has oral health in its name because there's no dental school in America that has oral health in its name. They're all yeah. schools of dentistry, dental medicine, and it's more than that. Yeah. Say, good, what else? I wanted it to be, have, be the first dental school to have a real emphasis on public health. And by that, I mean, I want to accept students based on their service, not their GPA. Mm. And we, I said, I said, a minimum 700 hours of service before they apply. So I know they're committed to making a difference in society. You know, smart, you, you'll find a lot of smart kids everywhere that want to become dentists to make money or do this because their father was a dentist, their uncle was a dentist, who knows? Yeah. I want people to want to go particularly back to rural communities where there is no dental school and make a difference. Mm. I said, okay. And uh, the other thing, I don't want tenure for my faculty. They said, you can't do that. I said, of course I can do that. And we were the first dental school with no tenure. Uh, because I wanted faculty there, not because uh, they've been there for so long and they're, they're not so great, but you got to keep them. I want people that are just focused and are going to do good things. Yeah. And the other thing is I wanted every student to graduate with a certificate in public health. So they got to take five courses online and every student will have a certificate in public health that can be rolled into a master's of public health if they so choose. But everyone mm -hmm. will have a certificate because I want to create dentists that will work with underserved populations, rural communities, um, what have you, those at risk, and community health. And plus, I want to have a little, my fourth year different. I don't want my fourth mm -hmm. year students to be at the dental school. I want them to spend half the fourth year in community health center settings around the United States. They said, really, you're going to get that? I said, yeah, we wound up getting 67 sites around the United States that we send and, uh, students to. And, it and I said, it's going to save us money. If we take 50 students in a class, that means we need 50 chairs the first year. That means we need normally 100 chairs the second year. But if 25 of them aren't going to be there, that's 25 less chairs I need to buy, less faculty I need to pay for at mm. the school because they'll be out at the community health centers. Getting experience, uh, getting to see if they like working in a community health center, and it gives the community health center a chance to sort of interview, if you will, these potential students and maybe offer them a job down the road to be at their community clinic. Well, it really worked. <laughs> you know, we had so many applicants, it was off the charts. We won the William J. Guys Award as the most innovative dental school in America. Um, and we established a model now that other schools have grown on. This was, I did it 20 years ago. And, and so it's now other schools are doing the community. So you have Nader over there. Nader, I knew when he was a really young pup and uh, inspired him a little bit with art to do some more things mm. following arts model and ideas there. So we're at the meeting and I, 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 do, I gave him all my thoughts about this and what it was. And then we played some golf, came back. The next day we met. Yeah, we off, and then we go back. Art Dagoni says, Jack, I said, what's that? You have to be the dean. I said, what are you talking about? I don't want to be the dean of a dental school. I'm a public <laughs> health here in California. I'm going to, you know, living in Venice Beach, having a grand old time. Said, no, you got to do what they all said at the president of the university. Said, no, you got to be the dean. We're not going to do a search. Like, you know, I'm in California. Tell them I'm sorry. I'm leaving. I got starting a dental school in Arizona. So that's how I became the dean. And I was the inaugural dean there for 15 years. Yeah. And it, which is a long haul for a dean. Most deans, especially inaugural, are four or five at the max. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, it was just great. You know, I'm meeting the young men and women. And young, I had a couple, I had two students in their 40s. 
or mm -hmm. late 30s, 40s at the start. Um, and we had, uh, I wanted to focus on Indians because one of the things that was interesting for me was when I was go doing learning about all this, I found there were only 98 American Indian dentists in the whole United States then out of 130,000 dentists. I said, that, talk about an underrepresented minority. Mm -hmm. So I got George Blue Spruce, who was, uh, we've been friends since the 80s, and he was the assistant surgeon general. He's the first American Indian to graduate from a, an Amer a U.S. dental school at Creighton back in 53, 54, something like that. And we were buddies. And I said, I want to make you my associate dean for Indian Affairs. Let's go recruit some. So he and I would travel around the country to reservations and so on. So as it turned out, as of today, as though our school has produced more American Indian dentists than all the dental schools in the United States combined. Wow. And every wow. one of them is working on a reservation. So it's pretty damn cool. And we started the first chapter, the American Student you know, American Indian Student Dental Association, mm. uh, which is pretty cool. And ASA, you're familiar now, with ASA, the American Student Dental Association? Yes, I sir. Of, yep. I was one of the 11 founders of that back in 1970. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that, that was a fun story, too, how we got that going. Yeah. We, I stole an idea from the University of Buffalo that I loved when I was up there for a visit. They had social workers working on the clinic floor with the dental mm. students to learn about the whole, I said, what a great idea. Came back to Arizona, called up uh, Arizona State University School of Social Work. I said, hey, this is Jack Dillon. said, are you that guy, the former health director? I said, yeah. I said, what can we do? He said, I want to have a social work faculty on my clinic floor and have your students rotate through here as a site so they can learn about dentistry and we, my students can learn about how the, I, one of my famous quotes too, dentistry isn't about teeth. There, it's about people. A tooth is connected to the mouth. It's connected to the person. It's connected to the family. It's connected to the community. Mm. Dentists have to deal with all of that. You can't mm. just deal with teeth. You can't just deal with the patient. You want to keep patients and grow your practice? Let the patient know you care about the family. It blows my mind that dental offices, where, for example, food enters the body where? Through the mouth. When was the last time you did a nutrition education in your dental school to a patient? We don't. Why not? We have an opportunity to do that. We have dental hygienists who, to me, are the best health educators in the healthcare industry. Why aren't they doing it and being compensated for it? Hmm. We should be doing classes Thursday afternoon, four o'clock, me with Susie, our hygienist. She's going to talk to you about healthy nutrition and it's free or pay five bucks if you want to donate or whatever, or get one of the insurance companies that pays uh, for the patients in your dental chair to say, wow, you're going to help my patients be healthy and eat better. My bills will go. I won't have to pay as much for their hospital and physicians. Sure. I'll pay your hygienist. Be creative, be innovative. That's one of the things we, you know, we're starting to get good with the innovation and in technology, the 3d printing, the, the, the little gadgets that, you know, drill teeth, you know, whatever. I think we need to do that for how we practice and what we practice. We need to look at overall health. And I think that is critically important. Like I said, nutrition. When I saw that in, at Buffalo, you know, I'll give them the credit. They're the ones inspired. They were the first to do it. We were the second to do it. And now other schools are doing it. And now those many schools now are getting medical students where they're associated with a medical school or, or nursing to get mm -hmm. them in the dental clinic to see how important it is and how relevant 
their work is in the health of our patients and how important our work is in the health mm -hmm. of their patients. You know, I, I actually, I love, I love that you keep preaching that. And I listened to one of your, um, one of your talks, it was the 2012 uh, Dakota conference on uh, rural and public health. And one of the things you were mentioning was, you know, they have, people have a medical home, people have a dental home, but where's the health home? Health home. Exactly. That's yeah. what we do. So I, I believe yeah. the dental practice for your first year dental students, even though it's a three-year school, when they get instead of four, they'll get out quick. But when they get out, the dental practices are changing. You're going to see dental practices for them and mm -hmm. maybe for sooner that will include physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and so on. I, I gave a keynote to the dental assistants of Arizona last year, and I told them, I said, you know, you're, you're all practicing. You've got physician's assistants, medical assistants in your neighborhood. Do you know them? Why don't you call up the medical offices in your neighborhood and invite them over for the, the staff over for lunch and learn and mm. provide some pizza and teach the PAs and MAs about what you do, what your hygienist does, and they can reciprocate same way so you can go back and forth and create that. I just started working with a company in Manila, Philippines that has a, a joint electronic medical dental record, something like Epic is doing. And they, they're in nine countries and they want to work in my little town. And I said, that's great because I yeah. think we need to all understand the overall health of our patient. Look how crazy it is that dental records don't talk with medical records and the billing is nuts. I mean, right. let's keep it simple, not more difficult and relevant. <laughs> Now, now, something I wanted to add on to uh, what you just said is, yeah. in your eyes, what, what does it look like for a general dentist now going into practice, you know, five to 10 years from now? Different than now. It's not going to be the same. They won't be in an office by themselves. The day of solo practice is done, period. Mm -hmm. You know, you may join a DSO, a dental service organization that has a bigger network and support systems. You may want to work with, I suggest working with a medical provider, open-minded in your area, you know, and, and, and do a joint health practice where you're able to work with seeing, I'm seeing that pop up in Arizona, you know, where one, where a dentist has three or four offices and they're all with physicians and, and mm. nurse practitioners. You know, I think that, you know, the, yes. And why, to me, it blows my mind that I get my flu shot at Walgreens and not from my dentist. <laughs> What's that about Dentists get more injections in a week than a pharmacist does in a year. You know, it, 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 what is that about? You know, in the past, the ADA has been very conservative. They're starting to get it. The American Dental mm. Association, their new president, Dan Clemson from Arizona, very bright guy, really uh, oral surgeon, you know, dual degree. He gets it and he's trying to do some things. I think hopefully they'll get better direction to really facilitate uh, the integration of oral health into total care. Yeah. One thing I'm really curious about is now, what made you decide to go and um, become a mayor of a complete city as a dentist and, <laughs> and especially during a pandemic? Yeah, well, because I'm not the smartest guy in the world. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> no, I live in Jerome. Have you Googled Jerome? If you haven't Googled Jerome, J-E-R-O-M-E, Arizona, old yeah. copper mining it went downhill, then hippies started settling in the 60s. You know, it's a small mm -hmm. town, 457 people, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of musicians, artists, 
all sorts of things. You know, I don't know if you're into heavy metal, but Tool, the group Tool, the lead singer Maynard Keenan lives in Jerome. You know, mm. it's uh, it's an amazing community. I got elected to the town council, then running for re-election. The way it works, the one with the most votes for town council becomes the mayor. And mm. I got the most votes this last time, so I'll be the mayor for the next two years. And wow. we're doing some in- things. I want to get affordable housing, working with infrastructure, a lot to do. It's all good. And I had two dental vans come up to provide free dentistry uh, for our citizens. We have a lot. We have poverty, old age, all sorts of things here um, from in this community. But it's 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 great. I, I love being here, and uh, I love uh, the, it's a great sense of community. We have liberals, yeah. conservatives, and conspiracy theory people here, but they <laughs> they all get along if you're a nice person, and that's mm. the critical piece. So, and you're also the global ambassador for the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry. Yes. Can you describe what that is and what the? It's the only organization that brings together physicians and dentists around special needs. It's an incredible organization. They have fabulous student chapters. I mean, uh, Nader is familiar with it. There's a couple of people at, at uh, Pacific are familiar with it. Um, it's a great opportunity for young people to become exposed to the needs of those people with special needs, whether it be Down syndrome or disabilities. You know, 40 million uh, people in the world are disabled. I mean, we have we have tremendous need and AADMD is great. I've been honored to be associated with them for a while and doing things around the world with them. So, Dr. Dillenberg, you know, yeah. you've you've done some amazing things and you have amazing achievements and awards. And I was curious, out of the things you've done or things you currently do, what kind of makes your, your heart beat the fastest and you get the most excited for? A good meal. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. <laughs> no, it's all. I, I I just got an award from the dental school in Sharjah. You know, I mean, from the students that blew me away. I get surprised by these things. Look, mm. I'm just honored. It's all wonderful. The opportunity to make a difference. That's the thing where I think leadership. A lot yeah. of the students get into dental school. They go to, they never think of themselves as being leaders. They never think mm-hmm. that they need leadership skills, but the reality is they do. They need to be leaders in their relationships, in their office, in their communities. And I think that uh, just some basic values, being humble is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I certainly uh, appreciate the recognition I get. I get a lot of awards uh, in, in things, but but we can't let it go to our heads and we can't make that the, the uh, I don't know. It's just uh, being humble is, is really good. I got that from growing up from yeah. you know, parents that were down to earth and humble. And I felt tragic that my mom passed away before while I was still in Connecticut at the training school. My father mm. came down to Jamaica and he got to see me down there with my brother. That was pretty cool. But I think knowing that you can make a difference, like the AADMD, I encourage your colleagues to take a look at that. And they can learn, even if said, I never worked with them. I mean, how am I going to deal with someone with no autism that doesn't want to open their mouth and stuff? How am I going to deal with the parents of someone with a disability? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the AADMD is a wonderful resource for that. They're humble. They're a humble group of physicians and dentists and students from around the, United, around the world. And uh, I, I encourage your colleagues to just take a look See if it's something they could, you know, take advantage of. It'll help them in their practices. Mm. You know, like, you know, with the, who knows what the, this next year is going to be very tough. 
I think Dennis graduating this June uh, in 2021, it's going to be a difficult time. It's, it's going to get over the pandemic. The good news is dental offices are safe. I look at numbers all the time. I mean, there just hasn't been transmission of cases, you know, there mm. in the dental setting. So I think the potential is good. I think the technology is going to make it easier for young dentists to succeed and not have to worry about drilling and drilling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I said, the technology will help. So, but it has to be integrated. Yes. Yeah. So that's a good segue into um, one of my final questions is, do you have any big messages to share with current students that are listening or young professionals that are listening? Again, integrity comes first. Mm. Don't lie, cheat, or steal, whether you're in school or in practice. And generosity is, is, is rewarded by satisfaction and success. So I think don't be afraid to help people. You will make a good living. You will succeed. Uh, there, there will be a greater need for dentists. Don't forget, there are a lot of older dentists and there are a lot that are retiring now because they've, they've just sort of, this, this has been a very tough year, 2020 and 2021 will be. And so I think there will be opportunity for young dentists, for dental students and so on. And don't be afraid to uh, go to an area, go to a rural community, work in a health center for a little while, get your confidence up, get your experience and develop your own uh, skills and communication and be respectful. You know, I think one of the things that when I was in dental school, we were not <clears throat> um, taught the way how important dental assistants and colleagues in the field are to help us succeed. Be respectful. Um, like I said that humbleness is really important for an individual's success. Uh, I wish them all luck. I think um, you've got some great opportunity to integrate a variety of things into your practice to make it fun for yeah. you and challenging at the same time, but in a good way, like I said, about nutrition, about, you know, uh, these other causes of illness, what do you call it? Social determinants of health, mm. become educated in that. You know, you have a role to play in that in your community. Should there be st more stop signs? Should there be walkways? Should right. there be more, uh, if you have food insecurity is an issue for your patients, how can you help? What about affordable housing? I think there are lots of ways because you are dentists and, you know, and, and considered uh, smart and leadership potential have the opportunity to influence in a positive way the community you're in. Reach out to your colleagues. Don't be afraid. Do it in dental school as well. And I think to the extent you do that, you will provide higher quality care, have better confidence in yourself, and ultimately have a higher level of success. I want to be able to, you know, yeah, I've been successful on one level. I'm not a man of wealth at all. I'm successful. I, my bills are paid. I'm retired. I get, but uh, I'm okay. Uh, and I want, I think what I've done is some good things. And I want to let the young people know that they have the opportunity to do good things, to be mm -hmm. successful, feel good about themselves and their choice of dentistry as a profession. They're at a, you know, there are a number of great dental schools. Pacific is right there at the top of the list. To me, ASDO and Pacific, you know, there are a couple up there. Um, and I think take advantage of the opportunities you have and the people you get to meet. And don't be afraid to reach out. You know, like I said in the beginning, the only silly question is the one that isn't asked. Don't be afraid. You know, be confident and know that you're doing good 
and um, I'm just delighted to help. I do these things because I like to think that I'm helping young people uh, provide the quality care I know they can provide and no, you're... at the same time. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. And oh. the, the last two kind of fun little questions is, uh, how do you keep your beard so well-groomed and straight? Yeah, like this. <laughs> <laughs> I go see Frank, uh, the barber in Jerome. I see him twi- every two weeks. He's down in Pussifer, the store. He works for Maynard Keenan, as I said, the lead singer for Tool and Perfect Circle and Pussifer. And they've got a shop with a barber shop there. And Frank's the barber. He's an incredible detail guy. And so I see him. He, he does this, you know. And, and he, so I see him every two weeks. So he takes care of the beard. And, it looks um, wonderful. It's good. Yeah, no, I yeah. like it. And, I'm absolutely honored to just be talking to you and oh, no. just listen to everything that you've, you've accomplished and your journey. And it's very, very interesting. And got um, a book I love coming hearing out. about it. Do you really? Yeah, I'm working on, yeah, they say I got too many good stories not to. So I'm working on a book and uh, it's going to be fun. It's just going to be all these little stories, you know. Oh, I love it. It's The title of the book is You Don't Know Jack, But You Should. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be first in line to get that book. Yeah, it's coming. It'll be coming out in 20, I hope by the summer. I I got someone helping me, a ghostwriter to help me because just, you know, but guys, some of the fun stories and photos. So it'll be coming out sometime later this year, I hope. Just because people right. want to have the stories. And I'm I'm 75 years old. I'm not going to be around forever. <laughs> so I want to make sure at least we'll have some cognitive thinking. I can put something together. So anyway, there you go. Oh, I'm excited about that. I'm going to keep that in my calendar to watch out for that. <laughs> Thank Lots you, Dr. Dillenberg. Be safe. Do good. And thanks for the opportunity to visit with you. No, thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Dental Giants podcast. Dr. Dillenberg's journey is quite inspiring, and I have to say, some of his stories are really quite motivating. I just want to recap on some of his messages, including that as a pre-dental, dental student, or dentist, you are a leader, and you should look at yourself as a leader, whether it be in your practice, community, or relationship. And some of Dr. Dillenberg's core values he emphasizes are staying humble, generous, and honest. If you like this episode, please leave us a review and give us a follow on Instagram at Dental Giants. We have a lot more planned for this podcast, so hit the subscribe button now so you won't miss new episodes. Thanks for listening. We will see you in the next one. Stay hungry and healthy.